Thank you, Pastor. And to take your Bibles tonight. Let's turn to the book of James, if you would. It's a great, great joy to be here. I uh, was torn about uh, my mother. She's uh, 90 years old, and uh, she turned 90 this past September. And she, uh, my sister, lives with her. And my sister uh, was good friends with Joy. Uh, and uh, I uh, didn't know that till we were just talking this past week. And, and I talked to my mom, and, and uh, she said, Son, I want you to, you're doing God's work. You go. And I told her, I said, Well, I'll fly in on Saturday. I'll preach Sunday. And my flight's out uh, tomorrow morning at 6. I said, I'll, I'll be at the hospital to see you. And, uh, Monday evening. So I look forward to that. I want to say uh, thank you, uh, Dr. Uh, Van Gelderen, for inviting me to come. I, I love this church and I love your family. Uh, Dr. Wayne Van Gelderen has been a, a great influence on my life since I was 18 uh, years old. That was a minute ago. <laughs> and uh, I just appreciate so much the outstanding outreach and how this church is a, a pattern for churches today. Uh, I believe this is the, the great pattern of, of the early church as well. I appreciate uh, my hotel room. Uh, the only thing wrong with it was my wife was not with me to enjoy it. And when I, I didn't miss her terribly much until I walked into the hotel room and I thought, I get to enjoy all this all by myself. It just doesn't seem right. So I took a video and walked around the hotel room and and, sh and uh, I, I said, Shazam, look where I'm staying, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and then is the, the lady present who fixed the, 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 the fruit basket or the, the basket? Who did that basket? And I don't know. Raise your, where, where are you at? Raise your hand. Wave at me. Did you do that basket? Did you call my wife and ask her what I liked? Well, you need to teach fruit baskets 101 and 102. <laughs> In the college, I preach out. I get to preach out quite a bit, and and there's some people they don't know what they're doing. They have gluten, they have gluten free stuff in the basket. <laughs> gluten free stuff. I, I, I'm not sure they're even trying. <laughs> Man, that stuff is great stuff. And I thought she must have called Debbie to find out what I, what I liked and everything. Pastor asked me to share just a moment, if I can, and I do appreciate your, your, attend, uh, your attendance tonight. I don't understand why people get so excited over something so temporal when what we're dealing with is eternal. Amen. And, uh, but he, he asked if I would share a story that I, I got to share with him and Stephen, uh, I mean, uh, yeah, Daniel, at lunch today. And uh, last time I was at Falls, I was uh, severely broken. Uh, just physically, um, my back uh, was just so messed up, and and uh, I realized I had to do some things, and so I, I started and embarked on a, a journey, uh, and I went to uh, the doctors there in Jackson, and they're good doctors, but basically had a printout and read off about stenosis and uh, sciatic nerve and these different things, but they sent me to uh, physical therapy, but I couldn't do them. I, I, I could barely stand up and walk. And, and um, the Lord uh, sent me to uh, Sims Murphy in uh, Memphis and Dr. Kevin Foley, who is uh, in the, the top 
uh, in the top five of our of North America. Uh, I could not have had any better care. And so I went to the uh, Sims Murphy and I met with one of his um, assistants. He's training. He's like 68 years old and he's training 14 uh, assistants to do what he does. No one can really do what he does. And uh, they put my uh, MRIs, uh, um, my, my x-rays uh, uh, up and, and they just went down and showed me how bad my back was. And when I looked at it, my first question was, well, I'll end up in a wheelchair. And he said, no, no, he says, you're, you're very strong. And, uh, um, and then I looked at it again and I wonder how I even walked in there. And, uh, and, and they, they turned me down. They said, you know, you're too bad for us to really uh, work on. Uh, your L3, your L4, your L5, they're just disintegrated and just broken and crushed. And, uh, you know, we'll send you the pain management. So Debbie and I walked out. This is in Memphis. And we walked out to the car and I got in there and I was trying to be brave because I'm the man, you know, you got to be brave. Some of you guys, you better know that. And, uh, and Debbie reached over and put her hand on my knee and patted it twice. She says, honey, I'm so sorry. And then I cried like a third grade girl. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> and we prayed there in the car in the parking lot. And I said, Lord, this is, this is uh, what you have for me. I'm going to embrace it. And we'll go with the pain management. And they were talking about putting in electrons and different things like that to try to, you know, um, uh, bypass the pain to the brain, all these different things. Well, the next morning, uh, Dr. Foley's office called me and said, uh, he wants to see you and he, uh, he wants you to come. And, and, and he told me, he said, if you'll come back, let's take some x-rays, let me talk with you. He only takes impossible cases. And uh, so I went back and he took the, the x-rays and he sat down and talked with me and, and he said, uh, I, can, I can help you. He said, I'll make you, I promise, I'll make you 50% better. I'm not sure I've been 50% better on anything in my whole life. So I, I, I picked up my ears and, and he says, but I'm shooting for 93% better. And he said, now, if you do this surgery, it's going to be excruciating the worst pain you have ever felt for two weeks. And I said, well, Dr. Fuller, which one would you do? Would you do the pain management? He said, you know, the brain's so, so built so well, so created that in about four or five years, your brain's going to let your body know it's hurt. It's going to bypass all that. Your heart is good. Your organs are good. You're relatively in good shape. You lose a little bit of weight, but you're relatively in good shape. And uh, he said, I would do the surgery while well, you still can do it. So uh, on November the 11th, on Friday, I had a seven-hour surgery. Uh, one surgeon was there that came in through my side. It's much more advanced. They don't go through the muscle tissue now. And they went through my side, and then he took out three discs, and he put in three titanium. <laughs> titanium disc. It was a seven-hour surgery. I went to ICU because only an ICU nurse could administer the drugs that I was under. Uh, and then a week later, I went back for the second surgery. It was six hours long. He put in rods and screws and all of that. And I was in recovery, um, and I was really loopy 
from the strong drugs. You can only imagine the drugs I was on. The strongest thing I'd ever taken was, you know, an ibuprofen. <laughs> and uh, it was true. And uh, I came to that. Dr. Foley had told me that he had designed this, this table. He has like 155 patents. And he's written numerous books. And he's a professor at UT. He said, now I've designed this table that you actually will set on part of your face, but it opens your back completely to me. So it won't be uncommon if you wake up with just a slit, a sliver to be able to see out of, but it'll go away. So I wake up in recovery. I don't know it, but my daughters are across the room from me. I don't see them, but I wake up and Debbie's sitting there. And she says, hi, honey. And I say, We can't trust these people. <laughs> and they're telling me this. Rachel says, oh, my poor daddy. Joy Bell says, look at daddy. <laughs> and Debbie's pulling it out of it, pulling it out of me. And she says, we can't trust them. And I said, But I can trust you because you're a smart girl. <laughs> and she reached up and pats me on the shoulder and she says, honey, it's going to be okay. And I said, oh, I know it's going to be okay because I can get us out of here <laughs> if I need to. But she said it looked more like this. <laughs> and she said, honey, I love you. And I said, you know what I love? And she said, me? And I said, eh. <laughs> yeah. She said, God? And I said, eh. <laughs> yeah. She said, the kids, the grandkids? I said, yeah. She said, what do you love, honey? And I said, I love my truck. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> how could you not love that truck? I met, I met with my, my redneck brethren in the foyer before I left this morning. And uh, we, we rednecks find each other. They're, easier, they're easily spotted in Tennessee because they still have the mullet. You know. But I said, I love my truck. And Debbie says that she felt like I had taken truth serum and that she fits on somewhere between a 2000 Silverado and God somewhere in the middle of that. My daughter for my birthday gave me a t-shirt that said, I heart my truck. <laughs> and, uh, so I, uh, I haven't been able to live that down. So while I was in rehab, I wrote this poem. Old Blue. That's what Joy Bell named my truck. My old blue truck is just so sweet. I feel like I'm in heaven going down the street. Now I look down at the cars when I stop at the lights, and I have to admit, sometimes it's a fright. The open road is now calling my name. 
I will be traveling in style from whence I came. With my music playing and my wife by my side, me and old blue are riding with pride. And God's people said, no, don't amen that. <laughs> don't amen that. So uh, I still, as you can tell, am recovering. But uh, three months later, after the two back surgeries, I had a total hip replacement. So uh, I have a little bit of recovery to do, but I'm so grateful to be here tonight, and you've been so kind. I feel such a great connection with you, and I hope you feel it as well. It's good to see my friends, uh, Brother Tim and Brother Rick and others, of course, the staff and the family. Look in James chapter 5, if you would, please. James chapter 5. In verse 1, the Bible says, Go to now, ye rich man, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasures together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which hath reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. We live on a planet named Earth and uh, presently there's just a little over 8 billion people, 8 billion people on this earth who live with us. The vast majority of these people know nothing about our Savior, Jesus. They know nothing about our Bible. Oh, some of them have religion, whether it's uh, in Europe or whether it's in New Guinea, who's chopped out, a, hewned out a, a god and worshiping a stump. They know nothing about our God. We, as believers of Christ, tonight must accept our responsibility of making known to the lost that their sins, too, can be forgiven. We have the Great Commission. You know it well. Matthew 28, verse 18 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. That hasn't changed since Jesus spoke these words. He says, Go you therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. What invo what's involved in missions? Well, uh, or what's involved in the Great Commission? Let me say, uh, missions is the, the heartbeat of God. And 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, uh, Paul says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. And look what he says. And maketh manifest the Savior 
of his knowledge by us in every place. That is missions. Notice the message, Mark 16, verse 15. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The gospel that Jesus came by means of a virgin, lived a sinless life and died on the cross for the atonement for man's sins and became our propitiation. The only way, the only one who could appease the wrath of God towards our sins died on that tree and rose the third day. There are the missionaries in Acts 13 and and in verse 2 it says, And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. Speaking of the church, the church ministered and they fasted. The Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. Verse 3, the Bible says, And when they, the church, had fasted and prayed and laid their hands, the church, on them, they, the church, sent them away. They, we send the missionaries out of our church. So there's the mission, there's the message, there's the missionary, but then there's the money. And that's what we're talking about tonight. Ecclesiastes 11 verse 1 says, Cast thy bread upon the water, for thou shalt find it after many days. I think that's faith promise. That we cast our bread, we, we cast the seed while the waters are, are high, but when they uh, recede, there's the harvest uh, many days. We have a great debt, a great debt. In many churches, it's an unpaid debt. We can forget about Walmart or Costco or JCPenney's or a uh, major department store uh, to uh, fund the New Testament missions program. This is the responsibility of the local New Testament church. We need to understand that this generation of Christians is accountable for this generation of sinners. And there are some truths that we need to look at dealing with our unpaid debt, our great debt. Let me share with, them, with you what they are. First of all, let me say that we must understand that it is our debt. I think sometimes we, we look at missionaries and say, well, he's going to his field of Australia, or he's going to his field in New Guinea, or he's going to uh, his field of Romania. But the Bible's clear that they're our fields. He says in verse 4, Behold, the hire of the laborers, this would be our missionaries, who have reaped down, what does it say, class? Your fields. Say it with me. Your fields. You know, it, it's not the missionary's field. It's our fields. And if God has called us to go, we need to go to the field, to our field. But if he hasn't called us, we need to support those who are laboring, uh, who have been called. And then we need to pray for those that we support and that we send. Notice uh, Paul said in Romans 1 verse 14 that we are debtors. I am debtor both to the Greek and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the unwise. And notice we hire the laborers, our missionaries, to reap our fields. Let me say that uh, this does not mean that missionaries are hirelings. That's not what it's talking about here. But in Romans 10, he says clearly in verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Notice it's our debt. It's our fields. We are debtors. And uh, the laborers are worthy uh, of his hire. Luke 10 verse 2 says, uh, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, and behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse, nor scrip, nor shoes, nor salute uh, no man uh, by the way. For into whatsoever house ye enter, first say peace be to this house. And if the son of peace is there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. You see, it's our debt. Tonight, in just a few minutes, we're going to ask you to pledge for this year on this commitment card what you feel God has led you to give towards world evangelism this year. I want you to know uh, it's a worthy, worthy cause. I want you to know when we get to heaven, I believe there will be people there He'll say, Pastor Savage, thank you for coming and visiting the mission field. But even more so, Pastor, thank you for sending us a man of God that would give us the gospel. It's amazing, as Pastor spoke about our faith promise, it has just mushroomed and just bloomed. Uh, Last year, at one particular time, we had all the missionary support was given, and we had a $20,000 surplus and I sat with our deacons, and we uh, planned out, and we sent that $20,000 out. Just about six weeks later, we had a $30,000 surplus. And we sent all of our missionaries an extra $1,000. And if they were in a building project or if they were ill, we sent 2000 to them. And at Christmas, we sent them all a $500 Christmas bonus. Boy, that's great, isn't it? You see... Uh, you can't outgive God as we spoke about. And we see that uh, it's our debt. Now, let's ask why the debt's not paid. Why is it an unpaid debt? He tells us in verse 4, he says, Behold, the, uh, hire the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud. He says in verse 3, Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you. He says in verse 3, you have heaped treasures together uh, for the last days. Why is our debts not paid? We've got our treasures stored up. 
We have them in IRAs, and we have them in stocks and bonds, and we have them in 401ks, and uh, we have them in our savings at the bank. And we're hoarding and we're putting together. This is what he says. We've heaped treasures together. There's so much, there's so much more we could do without. There's so much more that we could make the sacrifice and uh, do so much more for souls to be saved. Uh, this debt's not paid because of fraud, verse 4. But notice this debt's not paid because of styles, verse 2. Your riches are corrupt and your garments are moth-eating. It's amazing to me, Christians today, who uh, something comes in, it's vogue, and this is what's in, and this is out, and we have to go out and get new wardrobes, or, or we, we have to, uh, you know, uh, dress to the nines. And, and uh, you know, we, we uh, go to the Macy department store instead of, the, instead of Wally, uh, Wally World, and, and uh, our, you know, we're styling and profiling. We're spending our money on frivolous temporal things, I know Christians today who have summer furniture and winter furniture. And uh, they, 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 they uh, rent a storage place where they uh, put the, the summer furniture uh, during uh, the, the uh, winter. Then they uh, have to change out. Now, even if we could afford to do that, want to do that, I just tell Debbie, no, I'm not moving furniture. <laughs> but understand, it's because of style. It's because of fraud. And then notice verse 5, it's because of pleasurable living. Verse 5 says... Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and been wantonness. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. We have bass boats and spa memberships and four-wheelers and giant TVs and on and on and on and on we go. Our church uh, sent us on one of our anniversaries to uh, Hawaii, to Maui, and it was uh, just wonderful. There's some places that you see on uh, cards, and when you get there, you thought, eh, it was, it was nicer on the card, but Maui's not one of them. And the Dole Plantation, pineapple plantation, is there. And on every corner, they have fresh pineapple, and you can go up and they can just chop it up like this, chop it up, and you eat it fresh. And it's not like what you can get over here, let me tell you, it is something special. But when I was in Beijing, I saw a man, there were some fruits, and I went over to him, and I said, I'll take that pineapple. And he began to cut it up for me, but let me tell you, he peeled it as thin to the skin as he could. He cut around every little eye that was on that pineapple, and he gave every little sparing part that he could. It wasn't like Maui where they're chopping up. He, had, he made sure there was no waste that are there. And there's so many things in our life that we do that aren't sinful, but it could just be our faith promise uh, if we just denied ourselves some pleasure. It's our debt. Our debt's not paid because of fraud and styles and pleasurable living. And I want you to notice, thirdly, that the Lord is aware of this great debt. He's aware of our unpaid debt. Notice in verse 4, he says, Behold, the the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. Look what he says. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabbath. The cries have entered into the ears of the Lord. God hears the 
the cries of the lost. Why does a man in the dark area of the New Guinea jungle, why does a person in the very back of the backwoods of Australia, why are they chopping down and chiseling out their gods? They, the universe has revealed to them that there's a creator and they desperately want to know who he is. And we see that the cries of the lost have entered the ears of the Lord. Do you think that God loves you more than he does the man in New Guinea? Do you think the blood of Christ was, was better spilt for you and for me than it was for the man in Africa? No, no, let me tell you. My Bible says whosoever. And we see here that, that the Lord, he hears the cries of the lost, but the Lord, he's concerned about our giving. In, in Mark uh, chapter 12, it's interesting, but uh, there, there's this concept, well, God doesn't really care about what we give, but he says clearly in Mark 12, verse 41, and Jesus set over against the treasury. Jesus purposely sat there by the giving box and beheld how the people cast money into the treasury. And many that were rich cast in much. Maybe they had a tax write-off. Maybe they uh, had some motivation. But he says in verse 42, And there came a certain poor uh, widow, and she threw in two mites, just a couple of pence, pennies. And he, he tells them in verse 43, Verily I say unto you that this poor widow has cast more in than all they which have cast into the treasury. He says, for all they did cast in of their abundance, but she of her wont did cast in all she had, even all her living. You see, it's not what we give, it's what we have left. See, it's not equal giving, it's equal sacrifice. The tears and the cries of the missionaries on deputation, I think of, I think of, uh, our missionaries. And I think there's got to be a better way to raise mission money. I don't know of another way. But you have mission families that are going all over the country. There are little children up in the back of a car, back of a van, the back seat of a truck. And for two or three years, they go from church to church to church to church trying to get the support so that they might get to our fields to do the work that God's called them to do. And then lost souls going to hell. We're reminded in Romans 1 that verse 18, all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men, uh, he speaks about that the wrath of God is revealed uh, upon these. He tells us in verse 24, uh, the invisible things of him from the uh, creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made. Even the external power and Godhead, look what it says, so that they are without excuse. That man and that woman, that family that does not know God, God is revealing himself to them through his creation. 
I saw a, a video many years ago of a missionary who went to Papua New Guinea. And uh, he was told he was too old and too fossilized to learn the language. And he went in anyway. And he met with the Mok people or Mok tribe. And uh, there on video, you could see as he was teaching and preaching for a period of months. And uh, he asked them, uh, where did they originate from? How were they created? And they believed that two large birds mated, and that was where they had come from. He told them that where he comes from, they teach that we came from monkeys. And they laughed, they laughed hysterically. So that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And it is. But it shows when the grace of God and the understanding came on. And they cry out and they say the word, Etau, Etau, which is to say, it is true. It is true. And they rush upon the missionary and they pick him up in the air and they're cheering hysterically, uh, rejoicing that they have been saved, that they have received Christ. And then after three hours of celebrating, they begin to weep and to sob because they know that all their forefathers and all their families have perished without Christ. You see, uh, it's clear that God reveals himself through our creation and there's no one who's without excuse Lastly, let me just say that the Lord is coming again, and he's coming soon. Our time's running out. I believe we're going to experience some things, and I preached a whole series of eschatology in our church on Sunday morning. I've never done that before, but I went through the whole series of eschatology so our people would fully understand and grasp exactly what's going to happen and in the stages and how it's going to happen. I believe our time is coming. He says in verse 8, notice, Be also patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. Draweth nigh. Christ is coming soon. We need to, tonight, we need to establish our heart. I think that what God tells us to put down uh, is establishing our heart. If you've been faithful, as we have for many years, and faith promise, and uh, God, you could stand and give many testimonies, as uh, I certainly could. But surely, we need to do more this year. Surely, God has an expectation of more. And then if this is foreign to you, if this is a new uh, concept of, of uh, uh, understanding for you, you need to begin. You need to start. Notice Christ is coming. We need to be established. And let me say, we need to live our lives in unwavering faith. Life with true purpose of winning the loss and the time, until the time of our departure is at hand. Many Christians are well established on this earth, but many of those Christians are bankrupt in heaven. Don't you be one of those. He tells us in verse 3, 
you have heaped treasures together for the last days. I believe we're certainly in those last days. And we will have no excuse when we stand before the judgment seat for our great debt, for our unpaid debt. Remember, we as believers in Christ, it is our responsibility. Remember, they're our fields. Remember, uh, the lost is crying and uh, their cries are heard in the ears of the Lord. We have a great debt and, we, and, and, and it's, it's our fields. It's our debt. C.H. Spurgeon said this. He said, it is the whole job of the whole church to preach the whole gospel to the whole world. He's spot on, isn't he? 